your church today. It's good to have you all here today. I appreciate very much Ty speaking for me last week. Uh, we were in the, out of town. Uh, we don't uh, do that very often, not very often at all. Uh, but uh, last week it was just uh, uh, something beyond our control. Uh, but uh, we really had a very unique week last week, you know. Uh, did you find it? Where is it? What? Psalms 20? 118.17. 118.17. Psalms 118.17. Okay, that scripture, you shall live and not die, is in Psalms 118, verse 17. So somebody asked me that a while ago. Psalms 118.17. Praise the Lord. 118.17. You shall live and not die. Okay, so, well, it depends on whether you're willing to declare that or not. You know, so some people, some people, uh, you know, I mean, this last, well, last couple of weeks, actually, uh, last three weeks, we've been in Europe, but we've been back, so, uh, but we've uh, been all over the country. But uh, very, very uh, grueling, you know, uh, it's not uncommon to take 36 to 40 hours between bed stays. You know, I really don't like that, you know, to get up in the morning and work all day and then go catch an airplane, fly all night and then get over there in the morning and then work all day and then go to bed at night at 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock and it's been 36 to 40 hours since you've been in bed. It's kind of hard on the body. But anyway, it takes us it takes a while to get back and get caught up. Uh, coming back, it was only 40 hours from the time one time we'd been in bed to the next time we'd been in bed. So, But anyway, praise the Lord. We've just about recovered, you know. Uh, I, I'm getting back in pretty good shape. Cheryl's almost there. She got a good night's rest last night, so praise the Lord. We're slowly getting there. But uh, we had a great stay, and one thing I will have to say that I don't know whether the enemy was doing what he was doing or I don't know what, but when we got there, snow in, up in the uh, Black Forest where we went, the snow was a couple feet deep when we got there. But while we were there, it snowed four more feet you know, four more feet. Dallas ain't never seen nothing like that. Never. A Texas boy, I mean, you know, when you go up there, they got a trail. When we first got there, the trails going to their houses were about this wide and about this deep. But when we left, you couldn't reach the top of them. You know, you could not reach the top of the trails. The snow was up to the edge of the top of the houses. You know, that's not exactly true. said, please don't ask me to come over here and live. I said, you won't have to worry about that. <laughs> you won't have to worry about that because I don't like that ice and snow more than, no more than anybody else does. I like, that's why I live in Texas. You know, in fact, uh, the first time I was called away from here in the military and went to Chanute, Illinois, and uh, they had snow not near that much, but they had snow and ice, and it would get down to 20 below zero, and uh, you know, and uh, it was cold, and we'd get out and stand in that snow in the morning at four o'clock, you know, to go to the uh, r- little B- or the cafeteria, whatever they called it. I forget what they called it, uh, the mess hall or whatever. We went over there, and then we'd have breakfast, and then we'd be in class at six o'clock, you know. And so uh, I thought, after I lived through one winter of that, from January through June. I thought, you know, these people up here, they either don't know there's a good place to live or they're just crazy. What are the two? You know, so what are the two? I was completely convinced they either didn't know there was a good place like Texas to live or they were just crazy. I didn't know which one was the answer. But some of them up there love it, you know, just like over there. I mean, some of them people love the snow. Man, that's not my 
way of living. But anyway, we had a good trip. We went lots of places, preached in lots of churches. That's the only, first time in my life I ever went away that many days and taught the Word of God eight to ten hours every day. I've never, I mean, healing schools, a four-hour healing school I thought was something. But to get up in the morning to teach till lunch, take a lunch break and teach all afternoon, take an evening break and come back teach till 10 o'clock at night, that's the first time i ever done that for a week, over a week in my life. But that's what we did. Every day, you know, eight to ten hours of teaching. And so, and, and we drove many hours. Some days we spent three to five hours each day on the road, you know, going places to different churches. It wasn't uncommon to go a two-hour trip, uh, you know, to speak and then have to drive two hours back that night. And one of the nights, of course, we left a place, you know, and we drove back, and uh, we left at 11 or 11.30 or whatever, and then when we got back up in the mountains, it was snowing. So at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, we got to where the snow was so deep, the car wouldn't go no more, so it took us 1 to 2 to get out in that snowing, blowing snow and put the chains on it so we could go on up. So we got only 3.30 that morning. You know, so we had some real experiences. Y'all should have been with us. You would have really loved it. <laughs> you would have really loved it. But well, we had a great time. But anyway, praise the Lord. Uh, today, I've, I've, I found something while I was over there. I thought, how unique. And I didn't, I haven't noticed this in America until I saw it over there. And then when I come back over here, I see it here too. Everywhere. And I didn't realize how many people, I guess the Lord just opened my understanding to this. Uh, so many women over there are sick and afflicted in the church. So many women are sick and afflicted. And, of course, you know, I'm asking questions. Uh, you know, do you love God? Oh, yeah. Do you love your neighbor? Well, I'm trying to do that. Well, how about loving yourself? And almost every woman I asked that question to couldn't answer it. And I thought, my lands, no wonder you're sick. You know, No wonder you're tormented. You know, you don't know who you are. You know, here you are, children of God. And you have no idea who you are. I mean, you see yourself the way the world sees you. You know, well, why don't you love yourself? Well, you know, if I could have a nose job and, you know, if I could lose 20 pounds and I could have a tummy tuck and all this kind of stuff, then I might love myself. I thought, wow. How many people, you know, well, are I, my ear's not just right on this side or, you know, I got a little, you know, little growth or something right here on my cheek and so I, who could love this I think wow wow and so then I come back start talking to the women in America and guess what I found out same problem over here I thought why have I never seen this over here here we got all these beautiful women you know and they don't love themselves you don't hardly run into none of them I, I, it blew me away I thought you know in fact, one of the little ladies that works with me in the ministry, she said, you know, I, I was like that. And she said, when you taught the series on the righteousness, she said, it set me free. She said, I didn't see myself like God saw me. I saw myself like the world saw me. And so she said, I couldn't love myself. And I thought, wow, that's our problem. We don't see us like God sees us. So we need to learn a little bit more about these things. So today, that's what I'm going to talk about. I got up early this morning, and, and last night I've done some reading and studying, and this morning I got up early, and I studied all morning long, making this little simple outline here. And 
I want to, you know, let's think about this. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we come to you in your word, I ask you, first of all, I rebuke every devil of hell that would blind our mind to who we are today in Christ. And Father, I ask you to reveal to us the truth from your word of who we are as your children and what we can do in the name of Jesus when we see ourselves like you see us. So, Lord, I want to thank you for this day. And I'm going to ask you to bless this word as it goes out today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've thought about this a lot. What makes one man in life turn out fairly decent? And what makes one man turn out to be a doctor? Another to be a lawyer? The next one to be a mechanic? The next one to be a drug addict? A drunk? Why? You know, how many times have you been down on Fort Worth or Dallas and you walk through the street? And in fact, the first time I ever come to Dallas or to Fort Worth, I came to a uh, stock show over in Fort Worth from home. And of course, you know, I had never seen anybody like that. You know, everybody was about halfway decent people, you know, and, you know, you didn't see anybody walking around begging. I didn't see that. I'd never seen that in a little country town I'd come from. So all of a sudden, here comes a guy. He looks awful. He comes up to me and said, I hadn't had anything to eat in three days. Could you give me, could you let me have some money for something to eat? I looked at him. I said, sure. You know, I'd give him, you know, I took out of him. I didn't have a lot of money, but I took something and gave him part of it. And the guy walked around the corner. And I thought, there's a little... Hamburger place right there. I wonder why he went that way. If he's that hungry, why didn't he walk in there and get it? So I thought, well, I'll go tell him, hey, you didn't see that. It's right there, you know. And so I walked around the corner, and when he walked around the corner, he's got a bottle out and he's <laughs> drinking down there. I thought, this guy's an alcoholic. That's what's wrong with him. And then I think, Lord, why does that man turn out like that? Why? What makes people like this? You know, why is it that? You know, somebody will just have a mediocre job all their life. They'll never do anything. You know, they'll never rise above a certain level. And why is it the next guy, man, he's on fire and he gets out there and there's nothing impossible with him. I ask that question a lot of times in my life. Why do people turn out like they do? Well, first thing I realize, come to realize now that every human being on this earth is looking for something from the day they're born. They're a spirit being. They have a soul. And they live in a flesh and blood body. Every one of us are the same way. They're looking for something they don't know what they're looking for. But they, they're looking for God. But they don't know how to find Him. They look for him in the bottle. They look for him in sex. They look for him in stealing money. They look for him in lots of ways. Lots of men look for him in going to college and getting a good education and being somebody. Being a CEO or the boss of their own company, whatever. They're looking for something and what every one of them is looking for is the same thing. They're looking for the king of the universe, a man. Until they find him. Until they find Him and make Him Lord of their life, they'll always have this desire to find Him. 
They don't know what they're looking for, but they're looking for him. But whenever a human being comes through life and you finally find the king, you know what most people do? They just make him savior of their life. That's all. That's as far as we know. I mean, wow, I've got it. I found Jesus. I have made him the savior. I am saved. And that's as far as they ever go. They're still, like even some of the songs we sang a while ago, we're going to reign with him someday when we get to heaven. That's the way we see ourselves. As Christians, we see ourselves just like one night sitting right over where Pat sat and there was a young man sitting at a Bible study. I made some kind of a statement about we're not supposed to sin as Christians. He said, look, sir. He was with some lady. That was his first time ever here. He said, look, sir, we're just unworthy sinners. We sin all day, every day. I walked over to him. I said, speak for yourself. You know, you can sin all day if you want. I don't sin all day, every day. I mean, I, I've got a new nature. You know, I'm not, that sinful nature, it's gone in me. You know, once in a while the devil will come by and put a test to me. But, you know, as a rule, as a rule, I don't have that sinful nature. I mean, it's not in me. It hadn't been in me since I was 11. You know, I have not had that sinful nature. I've not wanted to, to steal, to lie, to cheat, to commit adultery, to look at pornography. I've never had those desires since I was 11. I've become a new creature at 11. Amen. And everything in my life changed when I became 11. That's right. But most people never find that answer. They look for it and they make Jesus Savior of their life, but they never let Him become Lord of their life. When you begin to see yourself like God sees you, you're going to become a different person. You know, faith will not be an issue once you realize who you are in Christ. If you don't ever learn who you are in Christ, faith will always be an issue with you. You won't never be able to get it. You'll be striving for it, but you won't ever see God do miracles as long and, and healings and all these wonderful things until you come to the realization that Jesus is Lord of your life. When the King becomes Lord of your life, then it'll totally change everything in your life. Then when somebody says, they won't have to ask you, are you a Christian? You'll be talking about Jesus everywhere you go. I mean, you'll be walking up to them and say, Are you a Christian? Praise God. Let me tell you about the best thing ever happened to me today. And they say, What's that? I said, It's the king. You know, you won't be ashamed of the king. You can't, do, you can't not talk about the king. You know, his, 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 he's going to be on the throne of your heart. He's going to be in control of you, and you're going to die to yourself. And I don't know how many people, how many people I meet in the church. I mean, even after Caitlin got miraculously raised up from the dead and all the stuff. How many people in church said, Herman, I don't know how you've done that. I don't know. If that had been my granddaughter, I'd have lost her. I said, yeah, your confession is totally wrong. They don't see themselves as sons and daughters of the Most High God. They don't see themselves like God sees you. So I'm going to show you today from some of these scriptures I've got here and here. We're going to talk about some of these things. 
All men start out in life as sons of the devil. Do you know that? Every one of us are children of the devil. Now, we don't like to acknowledge that, but that's our sinful nature, and we start out in life as sons of the devil. Now, most people on this earth stay sons of the devil all the way through their life and die sons of the devil. I don't know what the percentage is, but I know it's very high. Very, very, very high. They're lost. Now, these people that are searching for God, they, don't, they can't find Him. Sin holds them in bondage. Sin absolutely holds these people in bondage. Sin holds the church in bondage. Yes, sir. I was one of those for many years, from about 11 till about 40. I was one of those. Although I was not going out and sinning. I knew I wasn't supposed to sin. But still, I didn't see myself as God saw me. And so I didn't see any miracles. I didn't have faith to come boldly into the throne of grace. I couldn't come running up there and jump up on Daddy's lap and say, Dad, i got to have this for so-and-so. Ooh, I thought if I even tried to come into the throne of grace, he'd kill me. You know? I mean, he's holy. I didn't see myself washed in the blood like Jesus sees me. But when I got a hold of that, man, I can run jump up in his lap and say, Dad, I need this or that. And wow, does he do wonderful things for you. So praise God. Now then, they know they are not fit to talk to God and many come to philosophy for an answer. Now then, philosophy is when a man begins to reason out things. Well, yeah, I know there's a God, but you know, he's just a great big mind or something out there. The devil, there's no such thing as a devil. You know, you can't see the devil, so they couldn't be no... See, we begin to reason. Because if there's no devil and there's no God, then there's no sin. Everything's okay. Now, you talk about teaching that in our universities today. They're teaching it in our universities today. If it feels good, do it. It's okay, God. There's no such thing. He don't mind. No such thing as God. And the devil, that's just a figment of your imagination. Well, let me tell you, God is real, the devil's real, and sin's real. Guarantee. I mean, how many people have I seen, how many people do I deal with out there in the world? Is it mean, you can't be serious, they can't be a devil. They can't be demons, and we as Christians couldn't possibly have one. Well, let me tell you, I don't want to bust your bubble, but you can I mean, there is a devil and you can have one. And that's what's causing our problems out here because we don't know who we are. Believe me, I was tormented by these beasts for many years of my life. Now then, when a man begins to reason, this guilt, failure, weakness, all these things is what makes a man reason. Because we're all weak. You know, we all have failures. And... When people take God completely out of the picture, then they have no feeling about doing anything wrong. So, let's go out and have a party tonight, you know. A little drugs, a little alcohol, a little violence, a little killing, a little sex, you know. Who cares? There's nobody that you're accountable to. We begin to reason philosophy. It, there's no devil, you know, I mean, you know, it's not, it's just, you know, we're here just passing through having a good time. 
And so that's what men begin to do. They begin to go to philosophy. They begin to reason. And I see all kinds of people, even in the church, that don't believe there's a devil. You know, lots of people in church don't believe there's a devil. And lots of people in church, they don't believe that Jesus was virgin born. There's a whole lot of things that people don't know. They have no knowledge of who this God is. You know, just because you don't believe there's a devil, can you make him non-existent? No. He's there, whether you believe it or not. You know, God is there, whether you believe it or not. You know, I mean, just like somebody will say, well, I don't believe there's a God, and I don't believe there's a devil, so I'm going to do anything I want to do. Okay? You go up on a ten-story building, and if you don't believe gravity works, just jump off and say, I don't believe it works, and let's watch you float down. You know, and you can float down and say, look at me, gravity don't work, and everything works great, till you get to the bottom. When you get to the bottom, that sudden stop. The fall didn't hurt you at all. But the sudden stop is sure hard on you. Now, and it's going to happen to you, you know, because whether you believe it or not, it's there. Now then, all man has is sense knowledge. Your five physical senses, you know, what you see and smell and taste, and all five of your physical senses, that's where man works. Now, I've come to realize in the church, that's also where most people work, around sense knowledge. I mean, if you can see it, you believe it's real, sometimes. If you can feel it or smell it or taste it or hear it, you believe it's real. But if the Word says something, we can't step over into that world of faith and believe God. I mean, by His stripes I'm healed? Oh yeah, I believe that. But I sure got a pain in my stomach, so let's go down to the doctor. No, you said no. You didn't no more believe the word of God than you could fly without wings. You know, I mean, Jesus said, "I am the God that forgives all of your iniquities." You believe that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that. Why? Well, I mean, I, I just written right there in the book, so I believe He forgives all of my iniquities. So. You know, you say, you know, you did a bad sin last year. Oh, I know, and I've asked God to forgive me for that for 300 times. You didn't believe He'd forgive you. If you had, you would only ask Him once. You know, so, how many of us have done that? Ooh, all of us have. You know, every one of us have, you know. I mean, I can remember in my life whenever I'd mess up somewhere along the line, I'd think, oh, God couldn't even forgive that sin. Oh, that's so bad. So I'd ask you to forgive me today. And in the morning when I wake up, I'd say, oh, God, that sin I'd done yesterday was so awful. Will you please forgive me? And you know, God's up there saying, what sin? You asked forgiveness for that yesterday. I put it as far as the east is and the west. I don't remember it no more. So what, what are you talking about? But so then the next day you do it again. He finally says, you know, what are you talking about? We don't see ourselves like God sees us. Most all Christians have a hard time believing the word as it is written. Boy, has that been a reality to me. I even have trouble with it. Even as much as I've walked in it, I still have a problem believing all these promises that God has given to us as children. You know how you, you know how you really stay in the process of believing those things and keeping them up front? You've got to read them every day. You know, you can't just read the Bible on Sunday 
and then lay it down and walk in God's power the rest of the week. You cannot do that. You know, you've got to constantly keep renewing your mind and your spirit with these great and awesome promises. If you don't, they will not work for you. Most think it will be good when we get to heaven. I did, I not, oh, I just I think about that. I think about how many songs that I've heard when we get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a beautiful day it's going to be. How we're going to reign with the king when we get to heaven. You know, there will be no more pain when we get to heaven. Hey, I don't believe that no more. I believe that those things will be true when we get to heaven, but I believe we've got something right now. You know, I believe this power is here right now. But you've got to know it. And, and that's the problem. We don't know what God's Word says, so we can't receive by faith something we don't know. Think about, think about the people in church. That, especially since I've been dealing with a lot of Catholic people lately. Think of the number of people that never, that are told by the ministers never to read your Bible. Never to read your Bible. I mean, these people love God, you know. They're wonderful people, and once in a while, if you get one or two of them that start doing a Bible study or start reading the Word of God, they say, whoa, this book is awesome. And man, they really get in it, and they start reading it, and they start learning. But so many people, and it's unfortunate that in the Catholic Church, have been beat up on by the devil because they've never read their manual. And so they don't know anything about it. But let me tell you, it's not just the Catholic Church. It's every church. Every church out there is, 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 the devil has got something. I mean, the Baptist Church, I mean, you know, we taught salvation. And we teach it every Sunday. If you hadn't heard a salvation message, go to any Baptist church on Sunday. I guarantee you'll hear a good salvation message before the day's over. You may not learn nothing else. You know, and after I'd heard it ten million times, I thought, well, gee, I, you know, I got this down pat. You know, but that's all I had down pat. I didn't have nothing else because we didn't go any further in the Word of God than salvation. That was a message every Sunday. I mean, you got 50 people out there, 500 people out there, or 3,000 people out there in the Baptist church. 99% of them are saved. You know, so why preach a salvation message? You may have 10 or 20 or 30% of them sick, but ain't nobody talking about healing. You know, so they don't get healed. They don't know how to receive their healing by faith because they don't know it. We didn't teach it to them in church. And when you start talking about demons, now wait a minute, Norman, wait. Now, I mean, I realize these things are here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, but that was then, you know. Our demons are in Africa or India. They're not in the United States. We don't have them over here. Well, wrong. They are definitely here. Yeah. And, but you don't have to put up with these fellows. You know, you can be free from these guys. You know, you can just walk a wonderful, triumphant life when you begin to learn who you are in Christ and see yourself like God sees us. Now, many of us believe we're just barely struggling through while we are here. How many people do you hear say that? Oh, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I had a bad week this week. The devil beat up on me big time. You ever heard anybody say that? I probably heard that three or four or five times today. From some of you. Oh, me 
Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. How we allow the enemy to beat up on us. All because we do not know who we are. So I'm going to show you some of the things that belongs to you today. I want us to... I want us to turn to these verses, and as we read these verses, start out with with Romans eight. And Romans eight, what does it? What does he mean in these verses? Now I'm going to have to get in my Bible because I just put down verses when I was making this outline this morning. I didn't have time to put all the scriptures and everything. So, but we're going to look them up each one as we go. And the first one was Romans eight seventeen, and I want us to read that. And I want us to see what the Lord's trying to tell us. See what we believe here. Yes, sir. What what in the world does Romans eight seventeen mean? Romans eight seventeen in my Bible says, "And if for I'm going to read verse sixteen too. It says, "The Spirit speaketh, bearing witness with our spirits that we are the children of God.'" Yes. Now you know in the Old Testament they were slaves or servants. And then when he first came to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he called them friends. But after the death, burial, and resurrection of our king, when we come and make him Lord of our life, we literally become organic unity with the king, and we become children. You're not a friend of God. You're not a servant or a slave of God. You're a child of the king of the universe. Organic unity. He is your daddy. You've been adopted into the family of God. This takes on a whole new meaning now. I mean, I think about, I think about the little guy. Say, I lived on a street, and I'm, there's a little kid across the street, and he's over there breaking windows out of somebody's house. You know, I might holler out the window and say, "Hey, son, don't break those windows out of that house." But you know, he's not my child, so I'm not going to be accountable. If a man comes along and finds him doing that, and he's going to get his daddy, his daddy's going to have to pay for them windows, not me. But if that's my child over there, and he's breaking them windows out, we're going to have a talk. Serious talk. Yes, sir. But also, just to give you an example, the other day my son walked up to me and he said, Dad, I didn't have quite as many uh, customers and things come in and with the new building I'm getting put up here, I have kind of overextended myself. He said, could you give me a little money? I said, how much you need? He said, 15000 yeah, wow. So I walked in, write him a check, give him a check for 15000 Now, don't you walk in and ask me for a check for 15000 You ain't my son. You see where I'm coming from? You may be my friend. But I don't love you near as much as I do that boy. Ernest, you understand that, don't you? I mean, you give your kids anything you got. But for the rest of you out there, don't come ask me for 10000 or 5000 because I ain't going to give it to you. You know, if you're really in need, I might give you 100 or 200 but I ain't going to give you 15000 But for your son, you'll do that, won't you? If you got it. And I had it. So I was, I was willing to give it to him because he's my son. That's why I give him that great big beautiful home out there, the house out there. I give him and my grandchildren and all. I'm, that thing's got to be worth a quarter of a million dollars. I just walk, walked off and let him have it, give it to him. You know, you don't give that. You don't do that to your neighbors. 
You don't do that to your friends. You only do that to your children. Well, God has given us so much more than a new house and $15,000 as His children, and we don't have a clue what we are. But look what He says in verse 17. And if we're children, then we're heirs and heirs of God, and we're joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. What does it mean to be an heir? Is my son an heir to me? Yeah, and you know one of these days... When I go home to be with Jesus, I've got a trust fixed up. And did you know that uh, place I've got out there right now, the way I've got it set up, he's going to be the total owner of that thing one day. And somebody just offered me $2.4 million for it just this last week. I got a guy, a guy in the mail sent me a statement that said, if you, I'll buy your piece of land and if you want to sell it, I'll, I'll give you $2.4 million for that piece of land you owned out there in Justin, Argyle. Today, right now. I'm not interested. I don't need the money. So why should I sell it? Was that a good investment I made a few years ago? I'm telling you. You know, I mean, I think about when I bought that first 50 acres, I give $60,000 for it. I thought, man, is that lots of money. I finally got that paid for. And then a few years later, my neighbor wanted to sell me 47 acres on the side, and he wanted 100000 for it. And I said, I'm 50 years old. You know, 100000 go back in debt for $100,000? I thought, no, I don't want to buy it. I don't want to buy it. But finally, he kept enticing me. I finally said, okay, I'll buy it. And I did. Now I got it paid for. And there's a gas well sitting on it just bringing us, well, somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five dollars to $3,500 a month from the gas well. Was that a good investment? I mean, see, what if I hadn't bought it? You know, and now that piece of land is worth a, a million dollars. That I give a hundred thousand for it easily will bring a million. That's a day. Who knows what it'll bring in five or ten more years? So hey, you know, our heavenly Father has blessed us with so many things, and He has said here in verse seventeen of, of Romans eight, if we're children, if we are children, are you are you a believer in Jesus? If you're a believer in Jesus, then you're a child of God. And not only just a child, but you're an heir. An heir of God. A joint heir with Christ. When does that, when does that become a reality? When we die and get to heaven? That's now. That's absolutely right. That's now. Let's look at some of these other scriptures here. Colossians 2.10. Colossians 2.10. I want you to see some of these scriptures. We want to talk about these things. Colossians 2.10. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Let's look at that. Colossians 2.10. And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're what? You're what? I mean, what does it mean to be complete in Christ. He is the head of all principalities and powers, and everything that was made was made by Him and for Him. And if you're in Him, then you don't lack nothing. You're complete. Amen. You know what it means to be complete? You know, I mean, I can think of all those years that I worked and I built things and I designed pieces of equipment and those high lift trucks and everything else and all the things we did and I remember sitting down starting putting those puzzles together piece by piece by piece 
by peace. And then one day, we got the final project, and that beast was complete. And I could back off after and look and say, look at that thing. I helped design and build that thing. And man, what we done with some of this stuff. I mean, when you build and design something, you start at it piece by piece. And it may take you, who knows, depending, just like building a house. You know, when I built that house out there, it took me five years. I built that house virtually by myself. Designed it and built it and spent a lot of midnight hours out there because I was out of town so much as a regional engineer. But it took me five years to build that big house my son's living in right now. I built it technically by myself with no help. I remember one night up there putting a main beam. I don't know what that thing weighed, but a 3 by 12 that was 20-something, 24 feet long. I had to put that thing up on top up there, and there was nobody there to help me. And I had to do it by myself. So I put one end up and blocked it where it couldn't possibly fall off of there. And I went over to the other side and picked that big heavy beam up on my shoulder and climbed up a ladder and set it up on top. And I still remember that night. You know, I think about what I had to do. And I can remember being out under the end to build me a scaffold and putting four by eight sheets of overhang under that. How I had to build different deals and slide those down in there and get them down in there and get it lined up. And then if I'd have had anything less than a nail gun, I couldn't have done it because I had to have something I could put up there and pull a trigger. If I'd have had to use a hammer and a nail, there was no way I could have done that by myself. No way. But I spent many, many hours building that house. You know? But one day it was complete. It took years to make it complete. But if you are in Christ, in Him, you are complete right now. Not when you get to heaven. You're complete in Christ. What does that mean you're lacking? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Everything belongs to you as a son of God. Then Philippians 4.13. You know, I, had, I used to read these kind of scriptures, and I would ask someone. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. I said, what does that mean? Well, you know, and it started explaining away what God says. If I am complete in Him and I am lacking nothing, and then He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. You know what I was just dumb enough to believe? That the Scripture meant what it said. And I could do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And so I didn't care how big of a job they give me. I didn't care the day I sat down in that first little airplane to learn how to fly an airplane. I thought, I can fly this beast. I don't know anything about it right now, but I'll learn. And then I think about the first time I went down the runway with a hood on my head trying to fly instruments. I thought, if somebody else can do this, I can do this. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And the first time I sat down in a twin engine, I thought if somebody else can fly a twin engine airplane, I can. And then I thought the first time I sat down in the seat of a DC-8, I thought if somebody else can fly this beast, I can. You know, so what can you do as a Christian? What are your limitations as a child of God? You don't have any. Only you limit yourself. God didn't cut you short on nothing. When you get a hold of this, you never confess defeat and doubt. 
And the thing that I don't understand, it's got to be that the church has no knowledge of who they are. Every time I see, especially women, they come in and say, oh, I'm so depressed. I say, get over it. Start praising God. Jump up and start praising the King. Isaiah 61.3 says, The Spirit of heaven is goes away by the Spirit of praise. So I said, start praising God and that devil will leave. Oh, the devil just loves to follow along behind weak-willed people. Not just women. Men too. you got a little weak-willed man. Oh, I just don't know how I can do this today. Oh, I mean, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. The devil says, oh, let me just get over there. I'll just tear them up today. But that book that uh, Christoph gave me when I was over there, it's got a picture of a little pussy cat sitting on the front looking in a great big old mirror. And this tiny little kitten is looking up there. And in the picture in the mirror is the lion of the tribe of Judah. A great big lion. That's what we got to see ourselves. When you look in that mirror, don't look in that mirror and say, Oh, look at that thing. How frail he is. And look at his limitation. You look in there and see, you see the king in there. And you say, Lord, well that thing I'm looking at in that mirror and you in that thing, there ain't nothing you and me can't do today in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's where you've got to start seeing yourself. Hey, forget you. You ain't nothing. But the king that lives in you, he's something else. And he's got to have a body to live in. And he picked yours. So if the king picked your body to live in, hey, he, you must be something else. And you've got to start seeing yourself like that. I am a child of God. I have no limitations. I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me. You just send that devil after, out after me and I'll show you what me and Jesus can do. Amen. I think about that time when I read that story about Smith Wigglesworth. And he was called to a home and there was a little woman in there. And he said it took four big men to hold her down and they couldn't keep clothes on her. She put clothes, she'd rip them off. She was possessed by demons. I mean, you know, we read a story just like that in the scripture. You know, two men read through the tomb, run through the tomb naked all the time. You know, so it seems like demons don't want clothes on human beings. That's just the way they are. And if you don't believe it, all you got to do is go down and look at some of the magazines there and you see demons all over the place. Even the magazines ain't got no clothes on the women in the Sears catalog anymore. So there must be a lot of demons in America. They strip all the clothes off of everybody. So anyway, Smith Wigglesworth walked into this room and he said, turn her loose. They said, sir, she'll kill you. He said, no, she won't hurt me. They said, sir, she will kill you. He said, oh, no. Greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in that little girl. He said, turn her loose. And they turned her loose. And she went roaring at him, and he just said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her! And bam, that woman fell on the floor, that demon was left, and that woman was completely delivered and went down and had a meal with him at night and went to church with him. Amen. That man knew who he was in Christ. Smith Wigglesworth was nothing without God. Just like you and me, we ain't nothing without God. But once we find God and he moves into this piece of flesh, that changes everything. Now we've got to begin to see ourselves like this. You can't see yourself as a human being. You've got to see yourself as God in you. This is the mystery that you've got to find. Now let us find a few more of these scriptures. When do we have all these things? Right now. It's not going to be next week when you die, when you go to heaven, or next year. 
you got these things right now. Now then, let's go to Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1. One of these days when I have time, I'm going to redo this outline and put all these scriptures in here where I won't have to ask. I won't have to do the looking. But uh, this morning I was just trying to think of scriptures and I was just writing them down. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in those of us who walk after the, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now see, you've got a choice there you can make, don't you? You can still walk after that flesh and when you walk after that flesh, your heart will condemn you. I remember one time I was up in the northeast Baltimore area. There was a young man there, about 35 years old. And he went home with the pastor and me. And he, we were talking about things while we were sitting there having a bite to eat that night. He said, I had a dream. And he said, in that dream, and I've had to dream many times. And he said, in the dream... Every time I'd go to pray for somebody, my heart would jump out of my chest and I would see it. It would turn around to me and say, adulterer, liar, fornicator, thief. And he said, I could never, I could, I could never voice a prayer. I said, so you're living in some of those things. He said, what makes you say that? I said, because the scripture says, when your heart condemns you not. You know you have the petition from God that you ask. And whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, you shall have your petition. He said, there's a scripture that says that? I said, sure, it's in 1 John. So we turned over to 1 John and read that. And I said, see, when your heart condemns you, you know you're living in the flesh. You know you're living in sin. So I said, what you need to do is come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'll stop committing adultery. I'll stop committing fornication. I'll stop lying. I'll stop stealing. I'll stop doing all those things. And I ask you to forgive me right now. And I, I repent of every one of those sins. Now, if you do that, how many of those sins is God going to forgive you for? Every one of them. And then He tells you, now go and sin no more, right? So now then, if your heart's not condemned you, now then, when you come and ask the king something, and your heart, you're not walking after the flesh, but you're walking after the Spirit. You're not under the law. You're under the law of the Spirit of life, not under the law of sin and death. So when you're under the law of the law of the Spirit of life, sickness and disease has no hold on you. I remember one day walking up in a Baptist church, a whole bunch of young men. I'm shaking their hands. Good morning, young men. How are you all doing? I come up to this one. He said, I can't shake your hand, Mr. Scribner. I said, why? He said, I got the flu. I've been coughing. I said, that's okay. Shake my hand. I don't live under that law. He said, what do you mean? I said, that's the law of sin and death. I don't live there. 
I said, I can shake your hand, I guarantee. I said, there ain't no virus you can put on my hand can even ever make me sick. I said, put your hand out there and shake my hand, son. When you know who you are in Christ, there ain't no sickness and disease can touch you in the name of Jesus. You've got to know who you are. You've got to see yourself like God sees you. If you're walking in the Spirit, in other words, you're walking with no sin in your life, what did He say right there? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. If you're not walking after the flesh, now if you're out there going out, running around, lying, stealing, cheating, doing all those things, you're walking under the flesh. And I guarantee that that law of sin and death will come to you and it will bring sickness and disease and everything else to you. But don't walk there as a Christian. You don't have to. It's a choice. As a Christian, you can make a choice. When you walk out here today, God gives every one of us a choice. Are we going to speed when we go home? Or are we going to drive the speed limit? He gives every one of you that choice. Some of you will speed before you get home today. And some of you may get a ticket. If you do, don't fuss. You were breaking the law. Did God tell you not to break the law? Sure He did. Romans 13, He said, Abide by the laws of the land. And if you don't break the law, no problem. You won't never get a speeding ticket. You know, but just like everything else, he tells you what to do. When you walk under the Spirit, there is no condemnation to you. The devil cannot condemn you. He can't come to you and say, oh, you're an old worthless sinner. You say, no, no, I used to be devil, but not anymore. I've repented, I got saved, praise God, and all my sins were remitted. Now see, here's something else that people don't understand. I hear people all the time say, you need to come to Jesus and you need to ask Him to forgive you for all them bad things you did for the last 20 or 30 years. Do you know that's not scriptural? Do you know that's not scriptural at all? Did you know when you come to Jesus and got saved, all you had to do is call on the name of Jesus and that's the only place in the scripture that says your sins are remitted. You know the difference between forgiveness and remitted? When He remits them, whew, He washes them away with the blood. You don't have to say, Lord, I was a murderer. I was an adulterer. I was a fornicator. I was a thief. I did all those things. He said, oh, I know all that. I knew you well. I was right there when you done all them acts. I know. But when you come to me and ask me to save you, your sins are remitted. That means they're washed away and washed clean. He cleaned your board up. Now then, so then what's the, what's the purpose of forgiveness? Who's that for? Only for the Christians. Once you get saved... Now then, you can never have your sins remitted again. They were remitted when you come to Christ, but after that, you have to ask forgiveness. So when you mess up after that, you're His child. He will never remit your sins again, but He will forgive them one by one. Then you've got to voice those to Him. Lord, I messed up. I did this or I did that. He said, that's good. My blood will wash that right away and I'll clean your slate again. You know? Isn't that wonderful? But you don't have to. You don't have to remember the sins you committed when you come to Christ. I don't know a human being that could remember all the sins they committed before they became a Christian. Do you, Ernest? Ain't nobody. Nobody can do that. So when you come to Christ and say, "Lord, I just believe that Jesus died on the cross for me," so and He's remitted your sins. Now that if you could have somebody teach you who you are and all these wonderful scriptures right quick in one day's time. You would learn that not only were your sins washed away, but your sickness was washed away. And he gave you power over the devil and everything. Now you could walk out healed and delivered if you know it. 
But you, you can't know these things until you've got in the Word of God and be, and be taught. Because you have to receive everything in the kingdom by faith. Everything. You have to get saved by faith. You have to get healed by faith. You have to get delivered by faith. You have to break the curses by faith. Nothing is automatic in the kingdom. Nothing. You have to appropriate all these promises to your life by faith. And as you learn them, then that's what you do. So now then, after Romans uh, 8, let's see what the next one I got here. Let's go to Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When do you have that? When you got saved. In other words, if you were justified by faith, when you came into the kingdom of God and asked the Lord to save you, He, may, he justified you. You know what it means to be justified? To be justified means just as if you had never sinned in your life. Would that be wonderful? But see, that's what He did for you. When you come to Christ and you got saved, you asked the Lord to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. He remitted all of your sins and He took you out of the kingdom of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of light and He washed everything off of you. Power washed you with His blood and you became a child of God. He took a strong power washer to clean me up, didn't you, brother? I mean, it didn't take just a little bitty trickle. Man, he but that thing. I mean, I think of the things that I've done in my life. I think of the, uh, you know, especially with power washers and stuff where we'd take concrete, you know, that had stuff ground into it. You could put everything in the world on it to try to get it clean, and you couldn't get it clean. And they'd bring out one of them 3,000-pound power washers, and you'd go, and man, that's just perfect, clean concrete. There's not a spot of dirt left. I thought, wow, that's what Jesus done to me with His blood. He power washed me with the blood of the Lamb and justified me and made me as if I had never sinned. You would never have known that old filthy, dirty concrete with the, with the tires and the oil and everything else had been scrubbed into it. When they get through power washing that, you'd never know that was but brand new concrete. It looked perfect. Well, that's what He did to you and me. I mean, we were dirty and filthy and crusty, and He power washed us and justified us, and we were clean and pure, and He put a beautiful white robe on us and made us as if we had never sinned in our life. That's ours. He did that for us. We're justified by faith, and we have peace with God. So is God mad at you now? No, He's not mad at you at all. Even when you sin, is He mad at you? No. You're at peace with the King. He's paid the price. He don't get upset with you when you make a mistake. He just wants you to repent. That's all He wants you to do. He don't get upset at you. He just wants you to repent. So, I mean, you do the worst thing you can imagine, and the devil will tell you, Oh, I mean, you messed up so bad here, there's no way God will forgive an old wicked guy like you, Ernest. There ain't no way. I mean, if you believe that beast, he'll lie to you, won't he? But he ain't going to do that to us no more, is he? Now, me and you got it. We, we understand that. We understand these principles. So we just tell the devil, devil, yeah, I made him a little mistake here, devil. But I've repented. So you get out. In the name of Jesus, I have, you have no dominion over me no more. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood, I am a son of God. I mean, you have no power. So we think about these awesome things here. Then 
Jude chapter 1 verse 24. Jude only has one chapter, but verse 24. Let's go to the book of Jude, right in front of the book of Revelation. Let's go over there and read Jude 24. I want you to think about what this says. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What is he able to do? He is able to present you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's great news, isn't it, Jim? I mean, one day when me and you stand in his presence, he's going to say, Come on in, son. I kept you totally, completely faultless down there by my blood. Come on in to the joy. Isn't that going to be awesome? Oh, and here's what we say as Christians. Oh, I hate to die. Oh, I hate to die because I know when I die, oh, I know God's going to be so mad at me. I've messed up so many times. I've failed short here and there. Oh, I, oh, God, I can't even think about dying. Oh, Lord, I couldn't possibly come to heaven. You'd be so mad at me. Do you know people as Christians see themselves like that? Amen. And the devil just says, Oh, yeah, you worthless old critter, you. You don't think God do nothing good. Oh, he'll lie to you, won't he? Oh, he's good. You worthless critter, you. You don't think God would do... Oh, He's so holy and pure. He sure wouldn't let nobody like you in heaven. Isn't that amazing? And we believe the beast. And then we go around. Especially women. And some of you women are beautiful women. Do you think you're beautiful? Oh, no, Thurman. I mean, you know, I got this little problem with my nose right here. Or my hair is not exactly right over here. And I think, what is wrong with you, woman? Wow, look at these beautiful girls. And they act like they're nothing. They don't see themselves as beautiful daughters of the king. I remember a woman walked in this church one time. She walked in here and with her husband. I said, praise God, how y'all doing? Oh, Thurman, I'm so beat up on by the devil. I lost my job this week. I can't keep a job. Nobody loves me anymore. I said, woman, you have no clue who you are. I walked over to her and I said, would you hold out your hand? What she said, what for? I said, hold it out. I took her hand and I bent over and I said, I kissed the hand of a princess of the king of the universe. She dropped back and she said, Thurman, I said, no, you got to see yourself like God sees Man. you. I said, you, woman, are a princess of the king of the universe. I said, start acting like one. Amen. Do you know her and her husband have gone off to another ministry? They're totally changed their lives. And the other day I saw them. I walked up and I said, how are you doing? She says, you may kiss my hand. <laughs> So I reached out and kissed her hand. She has not forgotten who she is in Christ. I guarantee you. She sees herself as a daughter of the king. She said, "I." oh yeah, this is what she said. I am royalty. You may kiss my hand. (laughs) 
mean, when you see yourself like that, never changes everything about you. When you see yourself as a princess of the king. I mean, you just ain't a nobody. You're, you're not working for the government or the president of the United States. You're working for the king of the universe. And he's cleaned us up and give us peace. And he's done all these wonderful things. And when you begin to see yourself like that, it changes everything about you. But you've got to get there. Now then, we have peace with God. Now I want to go to 2 Corinthians 5. This is one of my favorite verses here in this. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. We start with verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5. Now then, I want us to see what the king has, the statement he has made here. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if a few of you are in Christ I mean, that's got to be the way it reads. It couldn't possibly read if any man is in Christ. It couldn't be. Oh, is that the way it is in your book? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean we, we, just, we just evidently don't believe this. But he says... Therefore, if any man, that also means women too, girls, for you all to know. If any man be in Christ, are you in Christ? If you're a believer in Jesus, then you're in Christ. He says, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You ain't that no longer that old, worthy, unworthy sinner. You're no longer a partaker of the devil's sin nature. That new creature, you have become a brand new creature in Christ. Now let's go on. All things are become new. And verse 18, and a few of those things are of God. Oh, all these things are of God. I mean, it's like we can't read this and believe it. You know that, Ernest? It's too good to be true, isn't it? It's too good to be true, Lord. He said, I know I'm a really good God. And I really love you. That's why I've given you all these wonderful Amen. things. Amen. I really love you. If you ever get a hold of what I've really done for you. He said, you won't never sin no more. You won't never be sick no more. You won't never walk in depression. You'll walk with your head high knowing you're a child of mine. Amen. I mean, you'll be able to look anybody. You walk right up to, I don't care who it was, a king Amen. or a queen on this earth. Walk right up and they say, Hey, you, you kneel in my presence. You say, I don't kneel in the presence of nobody but my king. Amen. And I serve the king of the universe. His name is Jesus. You're a man just like me. I don't kneel in your presence. But I will kneel in the presence of Amen. my king. That's the only person we should kneel in the presence of as children of God. Amen. The presence of our king. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been fully been reconciled to God. And he not only just reconciled us to himself, but then he gave us this ministry of reconciliation to go out to tell others. Amen. Look what he said. And this is what you're supposed to tell them. To wit, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The whole world. Everybody out there. All the sinners. Amen. 
not imputing their sins unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That couldn't mean what it says. It couldn't mean that God's not holding the world's sins against them. But that's what it said. Does he reckon it means that? If it means that, then you know what you can do? You can, pay, you can take this plan of reconciliation and you can go out there and say, you old wicked sinner, you. God says, I'm the worst sinner on the block. I've killed people. I've murdered. I've done it. That's okay. God's not holding your sins against you. He's not even holding them against you. If you'll just come to Christ, Amen. He'll just wash all that away, remit all those sins, and make you a brand new creature Amen. in Christ. They said, even God couldn't save me. You say, oh, yeah. He don't even know you've sinned right now. He's not even holding those against you. Is that too good to be true? It really is too good to be true. But it is true. It is true. And that's the plan. Not only did He reconcile you and me to Himself, but He reconciled the whole world to Himself so that if any lost, wicked sinner, I don't care who they are, any sinner can come to Christ and say, Lord, I want to be your child. Man. Man. He'll just bring you right in. What a God. I think about that video I watched the other night. Somebody gave me this video about Isaiah Reed and his miraculous life. I watched that video and I had to watch that twice. I was so inspired. I thought, God, you have, your grace has taken on a whole new meaning. Here's a young man and his mother and dad were international evangelists and he got off on the wrong track and became a pimp. And he pimped girls all over the world. He became an international pimp. I mean, you know, he had girls in New York. He had girls in California. He had girls in, in uh, uh, India. He had girls in Japan. I mean, he'd, enter, he'd move these girls around all over the country. He said, I could bring, he said, I could bring a real pretty black girl, beautiful girl, on the streets of New York. I could get $20 for her. I could take her to Japan. And he said, I could get a fortune for her. He learned what... Turn people on in the world. And he made a fortune out of it. He could get them little Korean girls or Japanese girls. He said, I could sell a Japanese girl in Japan for ten bucks. I could bring her to L.A. and I could get five hundred for her. Isn't that something? And that's the way he lived. And he drugged and he drank and he everything. He did everything you can name wrong. And then one day, he was fixing to, there was a girl there and she was having all kinds of problems. And he had been, I don't know, he'd been stabbed. I don't know what, he, he'd been killed. I mean, it's amazing. His mother, when she heard he was dead, he was at a drug deal and a guy stabbed him, what, 19 times or something like that. And they shot him twice. One through the jaw, one right down the mouth, right down through his throat. And it, that didn't kill him. But finally, after the guy stabbed him 17 or 19 times, he fell out on the street dead. That's enough to kill anybody, you know it. And then when they took him to the hospital, DOA, took him to the hospital, DOA, put him in the morgue, and his mother heard about it, and she called and said, put him, put my voice over the PA. And they said, ma'am, we can't do it. He said, I'm going to raise my son from the dead. Now, Sharon, you talk about a woman of faith. His mother was a woman of faith, right? She began to rebuke that devil and pray the prayer of faith, and God raised that boy from the dead. Isaiah Reed was raised from the dead. There had been, they was already, had already cut him open, beginning to do an autopsy on him whenever she prayed. Already had him cut open when he started breathing again. 
You talk about a woman that knows who she was in Christ. She knew who she was in Christ. Nobody needed to teach her who she was. She knew she could come boldly into the throne of grace and say, Father, my son, that devil's beat up on him down there, and I ain't having it. In the name of Jesus. And the Lord said, Whoa, look at that little princess of mine. She knows who she is. Yes, my darling, anything you want. In the name of Jesus, you can have it. And man, she come against that devil and she raised her son from the dead. And guess what he did? Went right back out into the world. Didn't change a bit. Still pimping, still sleeping with a different girl every night, still drinking, still drugging, doing all that stuff. And then one day he's sitting there. Having a party, drinking, drugging and everything. And some girl over there, she starts crying, having all kinds of problems. He said, well, here, you just need some more drugs. She said, I don't want no drugs, she said. He said, well, here, let me give you some more money. She said, I don't want the money. He said, well, if you don't want money, you don't want drugs. He said, there ain't one thing left for me to do, and that's knock you out. You know, just get you out of your misery. So he gets up and starts to knock her out. And then all of a sudden, Alvin Matt said, let me pray for you. And he thought, where did that come from? <laughs> Pray for you? So he prayed for her and she immediately got delivered. And then God spoke to him in an audible voice. God's watching all of this go on all of his life. And he's not angry at him. He's at peace with him. He said, Isaiah, how about you? What are you going to do with your life? He looks around and he says, who's talking? You know, he's hearing an audible voice. That's just like the man that's leading the ministry in Germany where we went. He was flying over Indonesia one day as the minister of agriculture for the state of Germany, the country of Germany, lost as a goose when the Lord spoke to him and told him, you've got to stop doing what you're doing and you've got to start serving me. He heard an audible voice. Let me tell you, he got saved and changed his whole life. Now he's in the ministry. But this guy, same way. When he looked up and I... I I, I, on that video, he says, and this is God talking to me? He said, yeah. He said, God, you can't even do anything with me. He said, you want to ask me? He said, Lord, I got tickled. He said, God, you the man. <laughs> That's exactly what he said on the video. You the man. You know, I mean, some, some of the black people and the slang they use is worse than my text is English. But anyway, that's okay. We all got our own way of talking. God understood and he heard. He said, God, you the man. He said, if you can do anything with me, do it. And boy, he said, the next thing I know, I'm on the floor. I'm repenting, crying, and everything else. And he said, when I got up from there, I was a new creature in Christ. Amen. Totally delivered Amen. of drugs, alcohol, sex, everything. And today, him and his wife, he married a little girl. That he had pimped, you know. I mean, you know. And now she had two or three other kids by who knows how many men. Now they got two or three of their own. And she said he loves them, that the mother's just like he does his own. But see, that's the new creature in him that can do that. Without that new creature, you can't do that. But look what he says there. What verse was I on? Uh, was I on 20? 19? 18? To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ. Think about that. We 
are ambassadors that speak for our king. You speak out of your mouth for the king. He has given you as a son or a daughter of God the privilege to speak his promises out of your mouth and fully expect them to come to pass. When you speak in his name, I mean, just like, just like that man that gave the testimony yesterday at the healing school. A friend of his, he's a truck driver, and one of his truck driver friends, he was in Manny, Louisiana the night I prayed for the man with the two crushed knees. And he said, man, he said, I, the guy was talking, he said, and I was in Manny, Louisiana, and I saw a man go up there and pray for a man who had two crushed knees, and I watched that man take the steel off, and I watched that man get up and run around that church completely healed. He said, I was there, and I got to see that. Let me tell you, I was there, and I got to see that too. I was the man that had the privilege of pray. I was the man that was the ambassador that the king sent to do that. Woo! Isn't that awesome, Ernest? When you get to see God do that. But I was also the ambassador that got to speak for Gary Young the other night and see that guy completely, totally healed of a crushed back. I got to see that too. Let me tell you, God, when you begin to see yourself as God sees you, you can pray in faith. Faith is no longer an issue. You know, Jesus taught us about faith, but under the new covenant that we got, there's virtually no place in the Word of God where Paul ever told us, have more faith. He said, just learn who you are and speak as a child of God. You're children of the King. You don't need faith. You've got it. You're a joint heir with Jesus. Speak in His name. When you speak in His name, just like Peter said, this man, how, they said, how did you heal this man? <laughs> he said, if you think it was by my righteousness or my holiness... Let it never be said. But this man stands before you healed by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Or he was speaking for his king. We have been made those same ambassadors. Think about how God sees us. He has enough faith in you and me to make us ambassadors to speak for him. I mean, if you owned a company, David, and you had... 50 or 60 men working for you, you would be very careful which one of those men you gave total power and authority over, wouldn't you? Amen. Amen. <laughs> but the king has given you and me that kind of power over his kingdom. He has made each one of us an ambassador. You choose your ambassadors carefully. You make sure they're going to speak in your behalf and for your interest and not for somebody else's interest. But the king thinks enough of us, although some of us he's brought right out of the slush pit of hell. He has made us ambassadors to reign and rule with him. Wow. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ did that you be reconciled to God. For he has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, I ask people all the time, are you righteous? Oh, I wish... Thurman, I had a man coming to me here a while back in a, in a church, and I would prayed for a man who had been healed of, of cancer. He said, Thurman, the Word of God says, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. We just need some righteous men in the church. <laughs> I thought, this poor guy don't have a clue who he is. <laughs> Of a clue. He's trying to gain his righteousness on his own. And guess what? He ain't never going to get there. You want to know 
Am I a righteous man? I'm telling you, I am the I am as righteous as Jesus Himself. Why? Because I've been made a new creature, and in all of my frailties, and all of my wrongdoings, and all of my sins, and all of my shortcomings, I am still the righteousness of God in Christ because of what He did through His Son. I am at any second of every minute of my life, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And when I speak in the name of Jesus, the King shows up to do great and mighty things. Because I know I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, somebody said, are you righteous? You know what you should say? Absolutely. Well, that sounds like you really think something of yourself. I said, I do. Because Jesus obviously thought something of me. He's the one made me like this. So, what are you going to say? Oh, no, I'm just an unworthy sinner saved by grace. The king says, if that's all you can say about yourself after what I've done for you, then don't come and ask me for nothing. Is that right? I mean, we are children of God, and you didn't have a thing to do with your righteousness. He did that for you. All you have to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you became the righteousness of God in Christ and became a beautiful princess in the kingdom. Is that right? Amen. 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 You've got to see yourself like that. Amen. If you see yourself any other way, and of course for years of my life as a Christian, somebody used to say, well, you know, I, and I can remember one night, oh, after I began to learn these things, I was in a prayer meeting with a bunch of Baptists. We were sitting up right under the edge of the of the uh, balcony, I mean of the baptistry, in a little room off to the side, and about eight or ten of us men met there to pray. And I'll never forget one of those men said, "Oh God, we're so unworthy to be here." Oh, uh, just guess what? We didn't get no answers either. You know, I almost did it, but I didn't. But he said, we're so unworthy. And when I heard him begging and pleading, I almost got up and kicked that chair and said, if you ain't got nothing more to say than that, just go home. God don't answer those kind of prayers. He answers prayers of faith. You stand up and say, Lord, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Here I am, Lord. We've got some problems down here. We need some answers. Let's come boldly into the throne of God. I'm washed in the blood, Lord. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. He said, now we're talking. Now you're beginning to see yourself like I see you. Right, Elder? Amen. Until you see yourself like that, I'm telling you, that devil will beat up on you. And when you get saved, until you can come to the point where you can see yourself as a righteousness of God in Christ, you go right back into that devil's world. You go right back into that devil's world. You get right back in drugs, alcohol, and all the stuff of the devil's world. Well, if you go right back into that slop, you are not a son of God. You're not a new creature. You didn't get nothing. You need to get saved. Amen. If you as a son or a daughter of God can walk out of here today and go back into the slop pit of the world and go back to taking drugs or alcohol or be involved in an illicit sex with somebody, you are not a new creature in Christ. Or if you are, you have no idea who you are. Amen. When you get a hold of who you are, you'll begin to act like a king's child. You won't act like a slut. You'll act like a child of the king. You'll hold your head high. I am somebody because he made me somebody. And I see myself like that. And then I think we should, I think we should do the best we can 
in everything we do, we should act like that. We should walk with our head high. Not in pride, but grateful for what the king made us. Don't walk around like a, you know, like this, oh, I'm just an old unworthy sinner saved by grace. No, 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 no. You won't never get nothing from God walking around like that. A devil, he won't never be afraid of you. But if you're walking with your head high, and you've got all these problems hidden in your heart, and you know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ, and you know that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, man, you can pray that prayer of faith and expect it to happen. Right? I mean, when you pray, here's the thing. When you pray and you it something don't happen, I mean you make sure your sins all repented of, and if it don't happen, then you reach up and you grab that devil by the nap of the neck and say, You beast, did you hear what I said in the name of Jesus? I mean I think about a preacher that I know at one time when God told him he was going to give him this uh He will kill you. He will kill you. He said, Oh no. Greater fire in your hand. You're going to know that man's got a demon and you're to cast that demon out in my name. So he said he's praying for the sick and all stuff. And he walked up to a man that had a real stiff back. Barely could take steps. They called it crippling arthritis in his back. He touched him when he did. He felt the fire. He said, "Uh uh-oh, this guy's got a demon. So he said, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. He said, now, mister, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. And he said, nothing happened. The guy's stiff as a board. The guy said, I can't move. He said, what? He felt of him again. He said, that devil's still there. He said, in the name of Jesus, I command that devil to come out of you. He said, now, mister, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. He did this three times. And every time, yeah, I couldn't move a muscle. Well, I don't know what's wrong. Okay, I pray for the next one. He said, I turned it. He said, there stood Jesus right there. And he said, he was looking at me with his hand. And he said, I said he would go in my name. He said, Lord, I did everything you told me to do. And on the microphone, on the recording, you only hear one side of the story. <laughs> you can't hear what Jesus is saying. Nobody can see Jesus but this guy. And, and, and he said, but Lord, I told him to go and he didn't go. And he said, Jesus looked at me and he got a little sterner. And he said, I said in my name he would go. He said, well, Lord, I did everything you said and he didn't go. And he said, I now know what it must have been like in the temple. He said, fire came out of his eyes. He said, I said in my name, he'll go. Woo! If the king reprimands you like that, you better go do something. <laughs> so he said, Lord, I don't know exactly what I did, though. but he said, call that man back down here. And so they called that man back down here. He said, I reached up and I hit that guy and I said, in the name of Jesus, you devil of hell, come out of him. He said, now, mister, bend over and touch your toes. Jesus Christ has healed you. Bam, the guy was totally, completely set free. You know the only difference in all this? The first three times the man said, now see if you can bend over and touch your toes. You hear any doubt in the word if? You think that devil's listening to everything you're saying? Everything you're saying. And you will be judged by every idle word that you speak. And that devil says, ah, this dumb preacher, he don't know who he is. But when he spoke it after the king, has the king spoke it to us and told us devils will come out when we command them? We don't really need him to walk up in front of us and say, I said he'll go. We don't need him to tell us. He's already told us in the word. Not once, many times. So, if we got every sin repented of and we command the devil to leave us and our sickness and disease don't go away, 
just see what you're doing wrong, somewhere you're not in total faith, and I mean get back in total faith knowing that the king is in you and greater is he that's in you than that devil that's in you or in that person. And that devil, when you speak in the name of Jesus, has got to go away. He has to go away. And when you get a hold of that, you will never. I mean, I mean, I think well, the other day when that thing come up on Cheryl's chest, they don't know about that. There was a little growth come up on her chest, and she said, "I know exactly what it is. Come in here and get rid of that thing." You know, she said, "Too many people in my family have had this, and it's been cancer." Well, I walked in and looked my hand on that, and said, "You devil of hell! In the name of Jesus, you're out." And guess what he did? He went away. Amen. Now then. Does he have to go away? If you're doing it in faith, he's got to go. When you speak over a tumor and you said commanded to live, it's got to go in the name of Jesus. Okay? But that's faith. When you realize you're a son of God and you're a joint heir with Christ, and if your wife is a joint heir with Christ, how much power does Cheryl and I have over the devil? All. I guarantee all. We know we're sons of God. We know we're daughters of God. So she and I as a team, we know we got power with that devil. When that devil comes upon us, just like that day that devil come up on my leg. And I mean, when I got home that night after church, I'm sitting there at 11 o'clock reading emails, and all of a sudden my left leg's on fire. I thought some ants had got in my boot. Man, I jerked my boot off, and I raised my leg up, and I pulled my sock down. And from right here to my ankle, my whole leg all the way was blood red. And it had spotches all over. It looked like it was to burst out with blood. I looked at that and I said, well, I'm sure glad I don't not move by what I see. I said, in the name of Jesus, you devil of hell, I command you to come out of me. In the name of Jesus. Put my sock back on, put my boot back on, went back to work. Worked till 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, went home, went to bed. Next morning, 7 o'clock, Cheryl got up to go to the bathroom. I said, honey, won't you look at my leg while you go by? She said, what's wrong with your leg? I said, well, last night I had a little problem. Maybe you ought to look at it and see what happened to it. Man, she looked, pulled the cover back and looked down my leg and she jumped on that leg like a duck on a June bug. Grabbed it said, you devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. We fought a battle for about four days. And he went away. Amen. And here we are over in Germany last week. And I wake up one morning looking and guess what? That devil's back. I said, oh, no, you don't, you beast in the name. I'm over here. I'm an ambassador for the king. You have no right to me in the name of Jesus. I said, you leave him. Amen. And I'm telling you, this time I was bold from day one. And he left. Amen. Praise the king. I mean, it's amazing how the devil keeps coming back to try to do something to us as sons and daughters of God. You'd think the beast would finally get tired of messing with us as children of the king. But he don't. He don't. You've got to continue to hang in there. Amen. Now then, if He has made you, for He has made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He was made sin for you and me, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Anybody ever ask you again, are you righteous? What are you going to tell them? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Why? Because it is written. Now, it will be a whole lot easier to convince people you're the righteousness of God in Christ if you're walking in obedience to the Word. You know, now if you're doing a little lying here, looking at a little pornography here, doing a little stealing here, sleeping around a little here, somebody's going to say, well, you, ain't, you may say you're righteous, but you ain't righteous. So act like it, right? Act like children of God. You know, walk holy. Be like the king's children. You know, I mean, stay as far from the devil's world as you can. Why? Because we 
or the righteousness of God in Christ. So let's act like it. And when we act like it, we have no sin in our life. Then the king says, wow, it's amazing how quick time goes by. Then let's go. Now, if you stay in sin, you did not get the new nature. That's amazing. Scripture confirms that. I want you to turn to John 8.44, and I want you to see what John 8.44 has to say. John 8.44. John 8.44. John 6.7. John 8.44. John eight forty four. See what Jesus had to say here. Right, let's just read uh, everything he says from verse forty two on. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot bear my words? Verse forty four You are of your father, you are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Now then, so if you're living in sin and continue to live in sin, who's your father? A devil. So guess what you need to do? You need to get saved. You need to become a partaker of the new nature. And then you need to learn who you are in Christ. Did you know that how many people have I seen? In fact, one of the guys out there at work, I mean this guy, uh, when I was out there at Sky Chef, one of the men that I knew out there, I mean the, the guys around him said every other word out of his mouth was a word of profanity. I mean, he, that's the way he talked. I mean, just off, awful. I drove the devil. I went to the third heaven and done my leg work and my spiritual work for this man. Kicked that devil out of him. And it only took me just a few weeks. And I got that man saved. And after I got that man saved, I mean, one of the men came to me one day and said, Thurman, this stuff that you teach really is real. I said, well, of course it is. But what made the impact on you? He said, Larry. He said, that guy, every other word out of his mouth for the last... Several, eight or nine years, whatever he had known him, as a word of profanity. And he said he would go out and get drunk and do all kinds of stupid things. He said, when you led him to Christ, he don't drink no more. He don't cuss no more. He don't never use no words of profanity. He said everything about the guy changed. Well, guess what? That's a good indication. He really got the new nature. Isn't that amazing? When you get the new nature of God... The old nature goes away. I mean, what used to be fun, going down and hanging out with the guys and smoking a bag of cigarettes and drinking a six-pack of beer and going down and having a fight and getting two or three teeth knocked out or getting them loosened every few nights or getting all beat up and bruised, that ain't fun no more. I mean, I've seen people, that's fun. Let's go down tonight and have a fight. Let's go down tomorrow and get drunk. I want to knock somebody's head off tonight. Man, that's the devil if I ever seen it. You know? Children of God, they don't do that. They do not do those kind of things. So he says there that if you're still living like that, first of all, you cannot be both a child of God and a child of the devil. Amen. 
You can't be both. You got to be one or the other. And so, if somebody comes to church and says, ah, I'm a born again Christian, but this stuff's a little too hard. I'm going to go back out there and I'm going to drink or I'm going to smoke or I'm going to sleep around with women or guys or whatever, and I'm going to do all those things. You need to get saved. Amen. When you get saved, you don't do that no more, do you, Ernest? Me and you ain't got no desire since we got born again to live like that no more. I mean, that new nature took over, it kicked in. We become sons of God. Now we want to walk in love. We want to read the Word. We want to praise God. We want to do what the Lord says. So if you will do that, and of course, we're, going to, we're probably going to talk a little bit more about these things. It's already 4 o'clock. But I, just, I want you to know... There's one more scripture I want us to go to today before we quit. Romans 6.14. We got to go there. We got to cover that one verse. Romans 6.14. Now, Romans 6. Is that a good verse? Romans 6. Now, see, you've got to know these kind of things because if you don't know these things, that devil will deceive you. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And the next thing says, What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So now that if sin has no more dominion over you, every time the devil comes to you and tries to tempt you with sin, what can you tell him to do? Get lost. Absolutely get lost. Devil, out in the name of Jesus. I've been given power and authority over you in the name of Jesus. I'm up on your ways. I know you're trying to get me to sin so you can put some hurt on me. But I ain't going to go there with you, devil. No more. I had a young man the other day I was ministering to. In fact, it was over in Germany. Had a young man, one of the young men I was talking to, he said, I walked holy before God for six or eight years, whatever it was, and no problem, no sickness, no nothing. And then he said, the devil come by and sent me a very beautiful girl. And he said, I fell to sin with that girl. You know who sent him that girl? A devil. Of course he did. The devil sent him that girl. And he fell. And he said, I have had nothing but sickness and disease and torment in my life ever since. Mm. Mm. He stepped out of his authority and power and fell back under the law. He fell back under sin. And when he was stopped walking by the Spirit under the law of the Spirit of life, he stepped back under the law of the sin and death. And that's exactly what started happening in his life. When he committed a sexual act with that girl, man, the devil, the devil. In fact, I think about this one pastor. This guy was a great man of God, and he made a statement. I learned a great lesson from this guy. He said, I am beyond being able to be tempted with sex. He made that statement. He said, you know, I have mastered this. I can can walk in holiness. And one day, it wasn't long after that, till one of the most beautiful women he'd ever seen in his life come into that church. He couldn't take his eyes off of her. He thought, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And she got real friendly with him over the next few weeks. 
And he was a single guy. So finally, she was so pretty and so enticing with her words, he asked her to go to dinner with him one night. And he did. And before that night was over, he wound up in a motel room with her. And as she was getting undressed, and as he was getting undressed, he said, that beautiful woman, scantily dressed, walked up to me and put her arms around me, and then she looked me right in the eye, and she turned into the most wicked thing I've ever seen and said, I deceived you. You said you couldn't be tempted. said, I beat you. He said, my gosh, I throwed down, pushed her back. And I don't know who it was, but he said, I'm going to tell you, when the devil says, when the Word of God says the devil comes as an angel of light, let me tell you, the beast comes as an angel of light. He'll come to kill, steal, and deceive you. And he don't only come as women. He comes as men. He can send him any way. And that beast is good, let me tell you. The only way you can overcome that devil is stay in the Word. Amen. You stay in the Word, you can overcome him. Otherwise, this piece of junk that we live in is so weak. You all know where I'm coming from? This thing can do it. In the name of Jesus. What kind of decision do you want to make? Anything? Walk with God. I can't overemphasize walking with Jesus. You want to be saved. You want to know you're saved. And then you want to know who you are in Christ. When you do, and you walk under the law of the Spirit of life, faith will not be a problem. You will be able to speak in faith. And you'll be able to see the King of the universe answer your prayers in the biggest, most powerful way you've ever seen. I thought for the first time in my life, we had so many people to pray for so many times this last week. Cheryl and I split up in teams along with other people. She had a translating lady. I had a translating pastor. And Cheryl got to see two or three mighty instantaneous miracles over the women she prayed for. Got to see God move mightily in her life. I back off and I see one of them get healed and I say, Wow, that's my wife over there. Look at this woman. Praise God. Glory to God. Makes you proud of her. And she gets she's seeing miracles. Who knows what God's going to use her for in the future? But he's already started, I'll say that. Praise the King. What a team. I love to be associated with a woman that knows how to pray in faith. That knows who she is in Christ. We're slowly getting there. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm grateful for this day. I am grateful for your word. And I'm grateful that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have been, peace has been made between you and us. And you don't have anything against us. And you've even made us ambassadors to speak for you. And you've given us all things, Lord, if I'd only got through to all the things I'd made notes of. The wonderful things that's ours. Oh, God. Lord, I praise you for all those things. I'd ask you to ask you to open each one of our understanding that we may know and understand you better and know understand you more. And so we understand more about who we are as sons and daughters of God. 
So when we pray and speak in your name, we can expect mighty healings and mighty miracles and mighty salvation to happen because we're children of the Most High God. And I praise you and thank you, Father, for this day. And I should have blessed everybody here this week that they may be used of you for your glory. And Lord, allow them to step over into that world where they can step over there by faith and see you do great and mighty things. Bless them all. In Jesus' name, amen.